again, welcome to another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And we're just over a week away from the 2022 FIFA World Cup. What an event it promises to be. Of course, it is in Qatar. Now, I'm going to take you back to 1990, if you can remember that far back, and the indomitable Lions under Roger Miller's swiveling hips and his fearless athleticism. And everybody thought, wow, African football has arrived. In fact, even Pele said that he believed that the World Cup would be won by an African team before 2000. Well, the only thing that's happened since then is Africa has hosted a World Cup in 2010 in South Africa. But as far as performances go, besides the odd one here and there, African teams haven't really performed very well at World Cup competitions. So we joined today on From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Today we welcome Kevin Evans, who's been involved in African football for as long as I can remember. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for your time. Oh, good day, Louis. Thanks very much for inviting me onto your show once again. It's great to be here. So I take you back to 1990. That amazing uh, Roger Miller performance by the Indomitable Lions Cameroon. Just before, I might add, that I was involved in a delegation that went in 1991 to Dakar in Senegal to get South Africa readmitted into international football. And I was fortunate oh. enough to meet Roger Miller at the time. And of course, the Cup of Nations in that year in Cameroon and South Africa readmitted into international football. But it really hasn't developed as we hoped it would have. Only five countries are in the World Cup. And strangely enough, some of the big names like Nigeria and Egypt haven't even cracked the nod this time. Yeah, it is uh, lots, lots of things to chat about as far as that is concerned. And, and I suppose one of them that you mentioned is that there's only five countries from the African continent. And I know there's been a lot of um, hypotheses and innuendo about why there's only five countries and how come UEFA has as many. I mean, if you go back to the 1990 World Cup, CAF only had two teams. Okay, there weren't 32 teams as they are now, but we only had two, Egypt and Cameroon, and, and UEFA had 14. So that's a, 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 a part that maybe needs to be addressed as well. But uh, at the moment, you are only five. And, you know, the, the detractors will say, yeah, but you guys are, besides a couple of semi-final appearances, Senegal and the likes of, uh, you know, Cameroon, you, you, you don't deserve to be there anyway because you're not performing. It's interesting that you say that, yet Africans are performing so well in European and in English Premier League football. We African Absolutely. names are being bound about all the time. Yet all the time. when it comes to playing for their countries, it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that's all about, whether it's club versus country, whether it's, uh, you know, they, they earn the majority of their money playing and vast amount of it in, in, in some, or some, or some instances for their clubs. And therefore, would, would the great impetus not be for, you know, protecting, protecting that money? I, I can't imagine it is, because once you put that national jersey on, surely there's a, there's a mindset that just encompasses you as an individual and, you know, as a team. I would think so. Well, if we look back at the history of African football and African teams in international competitions, there always seems to be something, a hidden agenda, whether it's we haven't been paid or we've got a sponsorship issue or our bonuses haven't been quite correctly told to us. And it kind of tarnishes African football in a way, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, you have these things and it's almost, um, 
Oh, I remember flying to into Europe over Christmas the one year, and uh, Air France had a pilot strike um, over over the Christmas period. And it's and it's almost a similar situation to that, where you're looking for higher wages at a time where you probably most needed, and therefore you have the most impact. And uh, and I suppose these things are going to come up in the next week or so. <laughs> yeah, where you'll hear stories, whether they're true or not, or whether it's just based on history. Um, that, yeah. You know, we 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 had the World Cup, and you want us to perform. You better put some money where your mouth is. Oh, as you as you mentioned, you know? yeah. And there's been controversy getting to this World Cup with, for example, South Africa complaining about some really poor refereeing decisions that knocked them out of the qualification rounds. Other countries as well, Tunisia at the moment, who have qualified, are aren't they, aren't they in doubt of playing? Is it just a lot of a lot of Chatter. I know FIFA are very strict on it, but you think FIFA would ban them from playing because of government interference in the team? Well, I don't know. I mean, I was having a look at that article, you know, when Nick was mentioning that situation. And apparently, the youth and sports minister, Kamel de Gouche, was threatening to dissolve Federal Bureau, which included the Football Federation. And if that was to be the case, then there's government interference, as you said, Louis, that uh, FIFA doesn't really appreciate. And they would come down pretty hard. Now, if they do that, what is the situation to fill the gap that Tunisia would leave? Is it too late to do that? And are Tunisian politics depending on that situation? Because if you look at the, the, the qualification, there was the, 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 the first round and the second round. And then there was a third round of qualification for the World Cup where um, the top 10 teams, they went into a knockout round against each other. And Tunisia played against Mali. And they only won by a goal to nil. Goal came in Mali and played nil-nil at home. So if Tunisia weren't able to play, would Mali then be shooed in? And if they were to be included at this late stage, are they even capable of putting a team together that would be competitive? Yeah, interesting fact. Okay, let's chat about the teams then that are in the competition. Let's start, shall we, with Senegal. Um, mm-hmm. They, of course, are, I guess, the, the second or the best African team by virtue of qualifications uh, in the competition. Let's talk about them. What and if do they have any chance? Well, looking at the group that they're in, I, I think Senegal have got a great chance to make it through at least to the round, the round of 16. They, they're in a group with, with the host Qatar, with Ecuador and with the Netherlands. Um, you know, there's lots of hypotheses and innuendo about Qatar being only the second hosts, along with South Africa, to not make it the second round as hosts of a of a FIFA World Cup finals. Ecuador, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think I think Senegal could could make it through to out of the group as group runners up against the Netherlands, who are probably the best side ever in world football, never to have won the World Cup in in various years. Whether this is one of those years or not, but I mean, you know, we go to the years of Van Basten and company. And really, really fantastic opportunities. But yeah, for me, Senegal um, would make it through to the next round. If they were to be runners-up in that group, Group A, they'd play against the winners of Group B, which is probably more likely to be England than anything else. Yeah. Who, of course, are in that group with Iran, the USA, and the Welsh. Iran, USA, and Wales, yeah. USA's men's football maybe not as strong as the women's side in as much as their success on the international front. But I don't think it's a bad side. And there's a lot going on in, 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 in American football. But, but one has to look at that group and say, okay, hypothetically speaking for this conversation, England on top of the group, Senegal runners up in group A, boom, that's a round of 16 clash. And does it, that, does it then 
start and stop there. Well, I guess the way uh, England have been playing, you'd never know because they blow up. <laughs> So yeah. you don't know. I mean, the, what England and England also since 1966 have flattered to deceive at World Cups. Um, so you, you know they're great up to the event, and they get into the, the World Cup. And whether it's on a penalty shootout or whatever, they just have bad luck. Okay, so let's go to where we find Group D, where we find Tunisia, mm. whom we've just spoken about whether they are or they aren't going to make it. Uh, France, Australia, and Denmark, along with them, in that group. You would expect France to come out of that group quite easily. And I guess the Danes would be the other team to come out of there with Australia and Tunisia, one of them fighting for the wooden spoon? Yeah, on, on the on the face of it, I'd say yes. Well, one has to go back to 1998, uh, when we when South Africa played on their readmission in France, and France won the World Cup on home soil. And we played in the same group as France, and we, we won't talk about Pierre Issa. Um But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but they went to the <laughs> exactly. We went. Yeah. We went to. Um, then they went to South Korea in the next uh, World Cup, France, and they were absolutely dismal. Yeah. They came to South Africa. They were absolutely dismal after having a good European um, season. Now, and they are the defending world champions. So, are we going to see this seesaw effect of French football? The emotions, you know, and we know how emotional the, the French uh, footballing uh, players are. Uh, along with the coaches and all sorts of other things. So, so that, that, that's a debatable point as far as France is concerned. Denmark, at the moment, well, you know, they, they, they rank 10th as far as uh, the world rankings are concerned. And um, so it's, it's a pretty high ranking. Um, Australia and Tunisia. So say, so say, for instance, hypothetically speaking, France bomb out and they, you know, good one day and, and bad the next day, whether they have, like in South Africa, I mean, there was internal ructions in the camp. Yeah. Um, that caused that caused their undoing. But if, if Tunisia had to make it through to, to, to the next round, um, whether they were at the top or the bottom, they, they're more than likely to play against other Argentina or Mexico in the round of 16. And and this is a World Cup, and you're going to come across these teams. I mean, um, so if there is a chance of making it through, you know, it's a, it's a tough you know, round of 16 in counting the knockouts. Okay, let's move along as we go to Morocco in Group F with Belgium, Canada, and Croatia. Belgium, arguably one of the best teams in the world at the moment. I don't find Canada as a threat in that group at all. So I guess Morocco and Croatia will battle out for the second spot in that group. I absolutely have to agree with you. And um, yeah, I I think Morocco are the second highest ranked side um, on the African continent that have qualified for this event uh, behind Senegal. And um, they, therefore, you know, must have a chance. There seems to be stability. There seems to have been, you know, a lot um, that's that's happening in the camp that, that gives a suggestion that maybe Morocco can do something. Uh, as you said, I mean, the match against Belgium would be crucial if they get a draw out of that one. But but for me, the Croatia matches, as you said, has is, is, is got to be the pivotal one in that group for second place. I, I don't think I don't think uh, Morocco could win the group, but I certainly think they could. The problem for Morocco is whether they finish first or second, the likelihood of them in the, the Group E qualifiers is against Spain or Germany. Yeah. As I said, that's where it becomes complicated because, you know, and, and up just are possible. We've had these massive upsets. I mean, look at Senegal, did you France in South Korea, you know, um, in, in, in 2002. So, and these things are possible, but, but Morocco, yeah, to play Spain or Germany, should they qualify for the round of 16? What has impressed me so much about Moroccan football in the last, let's call it, last decade or so, 
is, mm. first of all, the stability, as you mentioned, the fact that they are a powerhouse now in Africa, not just on the international scene, but also in the club scene. They've also mm. hosted a couple of events in their country. And you never, you don't hear any, you know, the usual African uh, bribery and corruption stories out of Morocco. You don't hear any issues that you'd need to be concerned about. And I guess that stability in terms of their footballing association is rubbed off on the team as well. Oh, without a doubt. I think, you know, it's like, you know, if there's the stability in the background, if there's stability behind the scenes in the administration of, of the league and they're looking after the players, then I think it is a, a, a very positive thing. And, and, and Morocco have shown it. Morocco, you know, the, the way they're playing, if you look at the, the science that play in Morocco, you know, the, the FAR butts and the, you know, the, the players, the teams that are playing in the African uh, championships, the CAF Champions League, the CAF Confederation Cup, etc., etc., they they doing consistently well on that level as well. Besides the, the players that are playing in Europe. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not like they have a whole load of superstars playing around the world. They're based primarily in their own country. Yeah, no, you're right, and I and I think that gives a lot of credit for the the strength of the of the domestic league and uh, and the, the way the organisations run. Now, the same can't be said about the next country we're going to look at, Cameroon. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious me. What on earth goes on there is just bizarre. I mean, it's the most beautiful country. I've been there a couple of times. Yes. I've followed their football team. But, I mean, from, as we mentioned, the Roger Miller days of beating Argentina in an opening game in 1990, to Samuel Etu, to Robert Rigobert Song, names that come off the tongue, but yet... Flatter to deceive so often. Yeah, look, yeah, it's one, it's one of those emotional things. I mean, you know, as you say, they 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 can come out and and uh, on on the day and be absolutely phenomenal, and then on other days and and, and may, may, maybe it is that thing about you know the, the wanting more out of the national association as far as reward for playing for the country, you know, comes into play. You know, whether, whether there's money or not, or you know, the bonuses system, the pay system, um, you know, some, somehow seems to override things when it shouldn't. When you look at a country like Cameroon and the international players that they have playing around the world, is it perhaps comparable to the likes of the West Indies and their cricket where the players have moved over to play basketball because of the huge amounts of money in Europe and also the Cameroonian stroke French connection whereby and as beautiful as the country is it is poverty stricken i mean it's not a very wealthy country as you say and the, the the cameroonian football association a part of the west african football association kind of like doesn't really have that much stability and again playing fields facilities all of that plays its role in whether players want to or don't want to play for their national team although because of their professional careers might damaged. This is definitely one of the situations that's probably of concern as well to a lot of the European clubs that is, as I say, employ hosts, uh, as you mentioned earlier, of African players. And the World Cup being played where it is at the moment, instead of in, in the, at the end of this uh, European season, it's now being played in the middle of the European season, is the concern that, uh, look, we, we pay for these guys day in, day out. And, um, you know, if there's an injury that comes from the World Cup, then uh, you know, we've we got to pay the price for somebody who's not going to be available for us at, at a time of the season where it's going to be crucial to have those important players there. So, yeah, there are um, a number of concerns along, along that route. 
And the club versus country thing is not uncommon for Southern African players as well. You know, the guys say, well, do I, do I jeopardize picking up an injury coming off the bench for the last 10 minutes? You know, when I, I, I could, yeah. you know, jeopardize my career, you know, with a European club. So I'd rather just, you know, and how much money am I getting, play, getting paid to pay for Cameroon or to play for Bafana Bafana in comparison to what I earn a week at a European club? And, you know, that unfortunately, you know, money is the root of all evil. So one of the teams that I've followed extensively and have a bit of an affection for and love the country is Ghana. Yeah. By golly, have they been drawn in a tough group with Portugal, Uruguay, and South Korea. To get out of that group, they're going to struggle. But my goodness, they play great football when it comes to World Cups, don't they? Yeah, they do. You know, they've been, uh, you know, when, when, one can look at the youth structures and, the, 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 you know, what they've done at, at youth levels, you know, winning under 17 World Cups and things like that. And then, um, you know, one has, has to look at that and, and, and say, well, if they've done that well at under 17, Never. Why haven't they kept that same team for under 20, under 23 Olympic Games and then into the World Cup and had similar success? And then one goes to, you know, the H cheating thing and say, well, okay, but I think, think things have also moved on from a science point of view to prevent all of that. But Ghana are a, are a lovely side. And, um, yeah, to, to see them in the group that they're in with uh, Portugal, Uruguay and South Korea, it, 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 it's almost, again, uh, South Korea play a lovely brand of football. Lovely, open, sort of uncomplicated game, brand of football. Uruguay, the first ever winners of the World Cup. Portugal, Cristiano Ronaldo or not, they're always going to be competitive. And, and Ghana may be batting for third place, you know, in the group. But even if they're not, and they ended up as runners, runners up in the group, they'll play Brazil in the, in the round of 16, likely. You brought it up, the under-17 stroke, under-19 uh, World Cups. And you look at the way African teams have performed. I mean, Nigeria have won it five times. Ghana have won it on a couple of occasions. Yet that level of youth doesn't seem to carry through to the national teams in Africa. Why? It's a difficult one. Sorry, Uh, difficult question, I know. No, 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 it is because one one has to look at it then, these guys matured on, on, on different levels. I mean, if you take a team of 20, 20 young boys, age under 17s, and um, and then you take them up to the age of 22, uh, the maturity at different levels, growth spurts, whatever the case might be, or distractions, you know, doing other things besides playing football. And then, you know, the club versus country thing. Uh, I think there must be so many factors involved, and it's difficult to pinpoint one specific reason why but but it shouldn't be that way i mean if there's continuity if there's as i say continuity in coaching continuity in administration you know are other are the players being recognized and nurtured enough from the respective countries themselves after all i mean this is national pride so we've spoken about the five countries cameroon morocco senegal tunisia and ghana who will represent africa in qatar the disappointment i guess by the fact that we only have five is we're not going to see some of the best players that are playing in Europe in the World Cup by virtue of the fact that there's no Nigeria and there's no Egypt. I mean, it's bizarre to even think that Egypt are not in the World Cup when you when you look at the, the strength of Egyptian football as well as the players that they've got playing all around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is um, quite hectic as far as that is concerned. If you look at the, the, um, you know, the, the 10 qualifying groups um, in, in the, the first round of cap qualifiers, it was, it was straight knockout. Get rid of some of the, the, the minnows. And then there were uh, 10 groups of uh, four teams each. And, and those 10 teams, then the, the winners of the groups, went through into a playoff round. And if you, if you look at the playoff round itself, Senegal against Egypt, Senegal went on penalties. So no 
um, Salah and, and and I mean the Egyptians have this you know style of swagger that the history the results the, you know everything and so you so you you're missing them. Another team that you're missing is Algeria. Uh, Cameroon yeah. won on the away goals rule against Algeria. Algeria is a top 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 team and they they they've been top for ages and they really are a fantastic team. Nigeria uh, lost on the away goals rule to Ghana. And there was a lot of, as you mentioned, uh, uh, hypothesis and innuendo about refereeing decisions in Ghana finishing on the same amount of points but top of the group in the qualification um, group stage before they got to this knockout stage. But you've got to put that all aside if Ghana beat Nigeria, even albeit on the away goals rule, playing to a 1-1 draw away in, in Nigeria. But it, but it does exclude us with, uh, from three of the best teams on the African continent, Egypt, Algeria, and Nigeria. If you, if you look at the, the, the world rankings, I mean, those are you know, top three sides. The other teams that missed out were DRC and, and Mali. And one could say, even if those two teams had qualified for the World Cup, it might not have been as successful as the teams that are not going there, as I say, like Egypt, Algeria, and Nigeria. And it's unfortunate, but you know, hopefully, you know, if we get, if we get more spots in the, um, in the World Cup, maybe there's an opportunity for you know, there to be greater influence of those teams. Because we want to see Egypt, we want to see, you know, we, we, you know, we want to see Algeria for sure. What are your thoughts on my theory if we just took the top 32 teams in the world and we said, right, you're playing in the World Cup. Forget all this nonsense qualifying and you end up being in a group where, like you say, Ghana play Nigeria, two of the best teams in Africa and Egypt don't qualify. If you're in the top 32 in the world, like many other sports do, I mean, you want to qualify to play in the Masters or any of the major golf events or tennis tournaments at the end of the world that's based on the rankings. What if we just took the top 32 teams in the world and said, right, if you're in the top 32, you play in the World Cup. And then at the end of that, we get the best team in the world winning the competition. That's, that's, uh, that's a nice way of looking at it. So almost like if the taxpayers in South Africa were, were the only people allowed to vote anyway, in, 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 a, in a general election. I'll, just, <laughs> yeah. I'll leave that there. I'll just park that one. <laughs> no, but, it's, but it's true. I mean, it is. I mean, it's, it's an incentive as well for teams to perform better, to know that their qualification is not based on a poor refereeing decision. It's based on you play a certain number of games in your qualification, for lack of a better word, to get to where you are ranked based on ranking points. And those top 31 plus a host qualify for the World Cup at the end of the year or end of every four years. It would be absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, it would be, be fascinating to see how, um, how that, would, that would pan out. I mean, I, I don't have the latest before world rankings. I'm still trying to find it. But I mean, so if, as far as Africa is concerned, I'm just going down the list here. You'd have Algeria, who are 16th. Senegal 18, Morocco 23rd, Tunisia 30th, Cameroon 30, 30, 32nd. So there's, there's a whole bunch of teams in there. Egypt wouldn't make it at 35. However, and Nigeria however, 38 wouldn't make it either. Yeah, but what you have mentioned is that you would still have five African teams at the World Cup, but the best. Yeah, but the best ones, yeah. Okay, let's no, just turn our attention briefly to the event itself, barring any untoward issues, which. You never know what could happen in a country like Qatar. <laughs> um, but what advantage, if any, will the African teams have by virtue of the temperatures, the heat, uh, the humidity? And obviously, for the first time, it's being played in November and December as opposed to the middle of a European winter, now being played in a European winter. Do they have an advantage? Well, I, 
I would like to think that, uh, you know, that the teams, if you look at the teams, and I mean, I go back to um, a conversation we've had prior to the one we're having today in the, the strength of African football being moved around the continent and where it is at the moment. And it's a clear signal of these teams that have qualified for the FIFA World Cup finals that come from two from North Africa and three from West Africa. The strength of it, if you include Egypt and, and Algeria in, in amongst those, then you know, it just shows where the strength of African football is. And I think, I think it does um, give something of an, of an advantage to African teams. Okay, in conclusion, so we are, I guess, in agreement that we're not going to get a winner out of Africa. Where do you uh, think yeah. the winner of this tournament is going to come from? Well, there's a lot of, uh, well, understandably, there would be a lot of money on, on Brazil. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see where the, where the European threat would come from. One has, to, one has to look at Belgium. You know, Germany is always going to be a threat. France, if they, if they bring the right game plan to it are going to be a threat in there as well. I can't imagine anybody out of the the Asian section is going to pose a threat in CAF neither. From CONCACAF, maybe Mexico and Comdebol, you know, you've got to look at you've got to look at Argentina and Brazil. But um, but yeah to 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 really come out and and uh, and give a prediction uh, it'd probably be for me it would probably be Brazil to win it. Um, and I know there was a lot of celebration around the team announcement and and the happiness with the with the team selection. Yeah, I, I would I would like Netherlands to be in the to be in the final again. Whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. But um, but yeah, Brazil for me. You've left something out, and we all seem oh. to we seem to forget about them. But yet, when it gets to a World Cup, Germany are always there or thereabouts. Always, always thereabouts. We can't count them. Germany. You can never write them off. Germany, Germany is got to, has got to be a contender for at least one would think a semi-final. And another team that that could that could those spring surprises is Poland. I guess that there's slightly less pressure, particularly on the European teams, by virtue of the fact that they're playing in a country where you don't really have expats. It's not like you know, when, when they played here in South Africa, for example, you always knew that teams were going to get a lot of support. Uh, they didn't necessarily have to be like South Africa, obviously, but a fortunate support. And then Ghana got all the South Africans behind them. But when the World Cup's played in Europe, it's easy to jump on a plane, fly in and out of Europe, go and support your team. These teams, like especially France, who we spoke about earlier, their fans can be hectic and boo them off the park after 10 minutes. They're not going to really have that. So they can most probably be a little bit more open, the teams, by virtue of the fact that they're going to only have the travelling band of supporters with them. Well, that's going to be an interesting one because I know that, um, as it was in South Africa, the, the Mexicans have already piled a whole lot of onto tourist buses and they, they, they've got a large contingent that's going over. And uh, they had to take into consideration the uh, the lack of tequila in certain parts of the of the stadiums because, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. of, of the situation in, in those countries, you know. But, uh, but yeah, it, yeah it's, a, it's a very valid point that you make. And, and being close to Europe, I suppose, there is an anticipation of a, a large influx of uh, European supporters. Certainly, there, would, there shouldn't be a shortage of African supporters. And um, so, yeah, we are expecting it. I'm expecting it to be a fabulous World Cup. I mean, the stadiums are beautiful. The air conditioning systems, um, you know, should, be, should work beautifully. And, and we do hope that's the case. Just feel, Kevin, on, in conclusion, it, for me, it just feels different. I don't know why. Maybe the time of the year, maybe because it's in a country that's not known for its football. 
but it just doesn't feel right. It just, I don't know, for me, it just feels different. I hope it's <laughs> going to be an amazing event, but it just doesn't feel right. Do you no, get that feeling a, or not? No, there's not a heck of a lot of anticipation. I mean, it was like the, the other day I was having a discussion um, at home and we were, we were talking about the World Cup and we want to choose our teams and put it in a group and put money on it. And we've, we've, we've got the Panini soccer sticker book and, uh, you know, so accumulate things. And I think it's starting to, 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 to get things, uh, you know, getting a bit of uh, momentum going here. I, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it in the world at the moment. And as I say, you know, as I say, you're only 11 yeah. days away from the opening game. I want to mention something about the World Cup, the African uh, contingent of the World Cup, which for me is interesting and it's, and it's a first and it is historic, is that for the very first time, all African, all the African teams are coached by African coaches for the very first time. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. No, no, I think it's a great thing for African football. And I mean, for, for me, it, it begs the question of, is South Africa at, at some stage going to give Pritza Mosamani another chance to coach the national team based on what we're seeing on the African content, uh, continent and the, 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 the urge to use local coaches? I mean, you've got Angel Cisse who's done brilliantly for Senegal. And if you look at the ages of these, these coaches, um, Cisse is 46 Jadel Kadri from Tunisia is 50 years old. He's never played. He's almost, you know, like a Jose Mourinho. He's never played, but he's coached all over the place. Walid Redragu for Morocco, 45 caps for his country at right back, 47, 46 years old for Rigabe Song, who has got an enormous history in the game of football, 137 yeah, of caps for Otto Addo at 47 years old, an attacking midfielder for Ghana with 15 caps and two goals. It's fabulous. It's Africa, have African coaches. And, um, and, I, and, and, and if this is the way forward, hopefully there's faith in the system, the local players to the local coaches. I'm hoping that affiliation takes hold and that we get this boom of African football under that sort of mentorship. So having said that, that all African teams have got an African coach from their country, that goes completely with the history of the World Cup, that no foreign coach has ever coached a country to World Cup glory. I guess that augurs well. Oh, heck yes. I certainly do hope, and as I say, I do hope against momentum as far as the participating teams are concerned. You, you, you want to see it that way. And, and, and as you said, I mean, the history suggests that there is success by using local coaches, whether they understand the culture better and the interaction with the local players. I'm sure there's a whole lot of um, historical um, significances to having a local coach and the successes there are. And when, as I say, on an African point of view, I think this is fantastic, massively successful. And it's a weird stat, though. I mean, when you think of the amazing coaches there are around the world that have coached national teams, yet not one coach from a different country has coached a national team to victory at the World Cup. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. Kevin, let's hope the tournament is mind-blowing. We will definitely chat to you through the next month and a half or so as uh, we watch Qatar 2022 unfold. We've waited a long time, bearing in mind that they chose Qatar before they even went to Russia, which in the last two World Cups have been <laughs> quite weird. I'm glad that we're going to the United States and Mexico and Canada for the next one, because that's just going to be a little bit more more, more sane, if you like. Kevin Evans, as always, thank you for joining us on From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Thank you, Louis. Have a great day. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's it. Another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. We will talk to you again with more sport from around the world tomorrow evening.